You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together. Uh, first of all, we'll read from the Old Testament, from uh, Leviticus chapter 19, starting at verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life, I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart, rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against um, one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then we will also read from uh, Luke chapter 16, the parable of the shrewd manager. So chapter 16, 1 through 9. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. Manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill. Sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The sermon that uh, I will be reading this morning was prepared by Pastor Ted Van Ralty of uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And he has chosen as his text the um, parable of the Good Samaritan, which we will find at Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, 
beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, do to others what you would have them do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. And in both cases, he said that to sum up the Old Testament law and the prophets. He was not teaching anything new. And therefore, the Apostle John could write, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. And that was to love one another. I recall speaking to someone a while ago, a member of a Canadian Reformed Church. This person ex- explained the situation of their family in a congregation on one side of the country. For a full eight months after arriving there as new members, they never had an opportunity to go home for lunch on a Sunday. And each time in those eight months, they went to a different family where they were invited for lunch. You can imagine how welcome they felt, and you can imagine how easily they got to know the congregation and to feel part of it. Well, the same family then moved to another city. And after being there for two years, they could count on one hand how many times they had been invited to people's homes. Astonishing, isn't it? But how easily it can happen. How easily we count on someone else to invite visitors and newcomers. And how likely it becomes then that a few families fulfill that role, not complaining, but just a few are counted on to fulfill the role of being neighbor to visitors and newcomers while others stand idly by. Well, this is only one small example, but it underlines the command that comes personally to each one of us today. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's for you to do that. Not someone else, no, you. We will learn about this from the parable of the Good Samaritan today, applied as follows. Love, uh, let the neighbor be you in order to fulfill the law of God. First of all, live as neighbor to all. And secondly, many will your neighbors be. The story Jesus told was in response to an expert in the law asking about inheriting eternal life. Jesus answered by returning the question to see how the man would answer. And he answered correctly by summarizing the law just as we heard it summarized this morning. So Jesus simply answered that if he did that, he would live. The Lord wanted the man to realize and confess that of of himself he was unable to fulfill this. But instead the man asked, and who is my neighbor? He had just quoted, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, which we read also from Leviticus 19 this morning. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? The uh, expert's question set the stage for the parable Jesus wanted to teach. Why did he ask this? The text says, well, to justify himself. 
The man wanted to declare himself righteous to confirm that he was abiding by this command because he wanted to start a detailed discussion with Jesus about who deserves to be loved. Who is my neighbor? Means, of course, which people do I have to love as myself? Do I have to love a prostitute as myself? Do I have to love those common, uneducated people as myself? Do I have to love those Samaritans as myself? This expert in the law wanted to start a nitpicky discussion about who uh, could be called his neighbor. This question was a very typical question of uh, rabbinical experts in the law in those days. These are the same rabbis who decided how many steps a person was allowed to travel on a Sabbath journey. They were the same rabbis who devised different values for their oaths. An oath by the hair of their head was hardly binding at all, while an oath by the temple was quite binding. So you can imagine that they could have had a very lively discussion about who is my neighbor. Maybe you can imagine ourselves having a pretty lively discussion about what we can and cannot do on a Sunday. We can read in a Jewish apocryphal book that one must not help the sinner. One should not give to the ungodly. Hold back his bread and do not give it to him. If you do a kindness, know to whom you are doing it. Do it for a godly man and you will be repaid. This is what the apocryphal book Sirach taught the Jews of the day. But in contrast to this, Jesus taught that you should not restrict your acts of kindness to those who can repay, but specifically target those who cannot repay, for your reward will be from God. This expert in the law undoubtedly thought that a sinner was not his neighbor. And if so, it would be necessary to define just what a sinner was. And it is easy to imagine that every expert would raise the bar a little bit higher. I give a tenth of everything that I have, so I am not a sinner. But others, well, that's another story. My neighbor, then, is only those who measure up to the same standard of righteousness that I have set for myself. Only they are worthy of my love. But in a very original and powerful way, the Lord Jesus evaded the whole debate. He answered the question of who is my neighbor by telling the parable of the man who was going to Jerusalem uh, from Jerusalem, traveling north towards Jericho. This man had to uh, take the 30-kilometer desert route, and within a kilometer of traveling out of Jerusalem, one encounters the desert. And the rest of the way to Jericho is virtually all dry, rocky, and sandy. And along the way, one travels through the Judean wilderness, an area where David and his 600 men used to hide from uh, King Saul when he was looking for them. The road had many caves and cliffs on either side. Thus, it was uh, an ideal uh, location for bands of robbers to hide and attack a lonely traveler. This poor fellow was no match for them as they beat him and stripped him of everything that they could sell, eat, or wear themselves. Then they ran off, leaving him bleeding on the side of the road. The man lay there, half dead. A priest came walking by on the same road. He looked, but he didn't stop. Instead of helping a fellow Jew, he went by on the other side. How could he really know if this man was his neighbor? The priest kept on going, and if the poor man saw him, he surely began to give up hope. Then along came a Levite, who was the helper of a priest. Both he and the priest knew the law of God. They knew the command to love their neighbor. In fact, they had the office of representing God to his people. But the Levite also passed by. He didn't stop. He kept on going, and if the poor man saw the Levite go by, surely by now he had given up all hope. 
But no, there was a third person coming. From which direction does it matter? And his coming at all really is of, is of no account because after all, he is a Samaritan. He lives in Samaria between Jerusalem and Galilee. And to the Jews, he is but a half-breed, one who claims to serve the Lord, but doesn't really. In fact, he's not even allowed in the temple. Jewish people are not allowed to associate with him. He is an outcast to the Jews. And the Samaritan, likewise, hates the Jews. So his coming by is of no account. He may spit on the poor Jewish man and continue on his way, but surely he will not stop to help. Yet the Lord is teaching something with his story, something vitally important. The Samaritan stops his donkey. He sees a poor, bleeding, and beaten man, and his heart goes out to him. He gets off his donkey. He comes to the poor man and washes his wounds with some wine and oil. He soothes the pain and revives the poor traveler. He carefully lifts him up and puts him on his donkey and walks the rest of the way beside him. He helps the man into an inn where he carefully nurses him that night, setting him on his road to recovery. The next morning, he leaves money with the innkeeper to pay the room, demands food and whatever care he will need until he's well enough to be on his own again. And then Jesus asks, which of these three do you think is a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The answer is obvious. It's the Samaritan. But the expert in the law does not actually want to utter the words, the Samaritan. So he paraphrases, well, the one who had mercy on him. The effect of Jesus' story and his question was to totally change the rabbi's question. The man wanted to know who his neighbor was. He wanted to know who who he was supposed to love as much as he loved himself. But Jesus didn't answer who was the man's neighbor so much as toward whom the man should act as a neighbor. The rabbi was suggesting limits to his love. He was focusing attention on the worthiness of the object of love. But Jesus turns this around. He focuses rather on the condition of the heart of the one who is doing the loving. Which of these three acted as a neighbor? Which of these three had the heart of a neighbor? The question is not, who is worthy of my love? It is rather, have I the kind of love which seeks the good of all men under all circumstances? Love is not that I meet a certain preset level and then I'm satisfied with myself. No, love forgets itself in the face of another's needs. Our Lord exposes our hearts by this parable. We are forced to ask ourselves what we would have done had we been walking on that road to Jericho. We know that we cannot pass by. It doesn't matter who is on the roadside. We must help. We must be a neighbor to all. Our calling is to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that neighbor is always around. That neighbor is around in the form of your mom or your dad. That neighbor may be your husband or wife, your children, your students, your teacher, your fellow workers, or even your physical next-door neighbor. Your neighbor may be the man on the street with nothing, or he may be the stranded traveler. There's no question about who your neighbor is. He or she is whomever you meet, especially those in need. Their need may be physical. They could be poor. It may be emotional and spiritual. The rich have needs as well. We should not let fear of anything stop us. We should overcome the thinking of the crowds who all pass by, and we should stop to help. The Lord may have set 
this angel there to test us. Maybe new people have come to the church. Hospitality is actually very important. Do to others what you would have them do to you. What would you like in a new congregation? What would you like when visiting strangers? How can you show that you have been loved by God? We all miss many opportunities to love our neighbors. Jesus said, do this and you shall live. We must admit that with all our shortcomings and selfishness, we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus' parable is good for us, too. It is also good within the church. Your neighbor is whomever you meet and can help, and that will begin in your own family and in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where it starts. The love of Christ has been put upon you. We love because he loved us first. He did not first evaluate our worthiness. Rather, he acted out of himself. He, Jesus, is our good Samaritan. So we are to act out of him and his love when we are called to love others. Even at this moment, we are not perfectly fulfilling the law of love, but that is why he came, that he, Jesus, might cover our sins and wash our wounds. He came to cover the great sin of our lack of love. He also had a reason in mind. He wished to send us on our way to supply us with our needs for the journey, to have us recommit our lives to the principle of love. He washed away your sins so that without the burden of them, you could totally commit yourself to loving God above all and your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, the Lord's message in the parable is this. Let the neighbor be you. This has two sides. Those who trust in their own good standing, he challenges to realize their horrendous sinning, their self-love, and their selfishness. Those who have come to know their sins, he promises to wash clean. He will tend to you, stricken and beaten by sin. And he will so completely bless you that he will have the right to say, now let the neighbor be you, in order to fulfill the law of God. Recommit yourself to doing this. Show mercy, show compassion, show hospitality and friendliness. Our second point, uh, many will your neighbors be. Did you notice how the parable is full of actions? There's almost no dialogue, almost all action. This is uh, because a nice feeling towards someone does nothing for them. If you only tell your enemy you love him, well, he will laugh and mock you. But if, while saying very little, you perform an act or deed of kindness toward him, he will have nothing to say. You have just proved that you are living and acting out of a power source that he simply doesn't understand. Love is a verb. Love is expressed by one's activities. That is why love is intricately connected to law. For while faith is of the heart, love is of deeds. Just as faith without works is dead, so faith without love is dead. Do not say, go on your way, be warm and well fed. No, do something. Feed them, clothe them, bind up their wounds. That is love. The Lord Jesus died not just just to give his spirit for our faith, but also for our love. We love because he loved us first, and we must love. It is an imperative, an obligation. Let the neighbor be you in order to fulfill the law of love. Then you will be blessed with many neighbors. 
I think here of the parable of the Lord Jesus about the shrewd manager, which we read together at Luke 16. This manager was being fired from his job. So before he was gone, he called in some of his boss's corporate customers and negotiated a reduction of their bills. He was fired from his job, but now he had many friends lined up who owed him a favor. The point is not whether this man acted legally or ethically. The point is that he made many friends by his acts of kindness. The Lord recommends that we should use worldly wealth to help those in need. Now let us be clear. The Samaritan may not and must not first check whether his neighbor is rich or poor. If the, uh, In the parable, he couldn't anyways, for the man was stripped and beaten, and then all men looked the same, rich or poor. And yet by helping in a time of need, by doing the deed of self-sacrifice and love, that Samaritan will have many others who are ready to be neighbor to him in his time of need. Let us be very clear here. The Lord Jesus said that it is better to help those who are not able to pay you back. That is the whole point here, too. Don't ask who your neighbor is, but ask if you are, you yourself are willing to act as a neighbor uh, to fulfill the second law of God's law, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the question for you. But we may also be comforted that those who follow the ways of the Lord are blessed. And here, too, that will be evident. The woman, Tabitha, and we can read about her in Acts chapter 9. Tabitha had done many good deeds for so many church members that when she died, her friends petitioned the apostle Peter for her life. The widows showed him all the clothes she had made for them, and they cried for their loss. This moved Peter to call her back from the dead by the power of Jesus Christ. These widows could not have any physical things uh, to give back to Tabitha, but they certainly gave her their hearts. They loved her and comforted her. And as Christians, they were rich in their poverty. From the little things to the big things, be the neighbor the Lord Jesus calls you to be. Go and do like the good Samaritan. You can because Christ has loved you first. You must because he gave his spirit to you for this. Doing this through Christ your Savior and his love, you will fulfill the law of love. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.